At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you. And it is July 4th weekend, which is usually a great time of celebration. And this year is no different. The Declaration of Independence, let's see, 246 years ago, if I have that right. Somebody could correct me. 2020, 2022 minus 1776. Anyway, I think it's 246. I could be wrong. Dial me in if you got a different number. <laughs> it's, not, it's not an exercise in arithmetic so much as it is a celebration of probably the greatest document. I know it's the greatest document in the English language. It may be the greatest document uh, in world history, perhaps accepting the Bible. I'll amend that if you're talking about the Bible. But one of the things I want to say today is on the issue of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is the guts of it, we need to restore life, liberty, and happiness here in the U.S., It's the restoration. Things have gone off course. We don't have enough life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It's been a rough year. It's been a rough 18 months. The Biden administration has gone completely haywire, trying to overturn America, transform it into some kind of left-wing, woke, progressive, big government, socialist country, and it's being rejected. Their views are being rejected every which way. Every which way. And what I want to suggest to you is this Declaration of Independence, this fabulous document proclaiming American independence and American liberty, you know, if you read it, it goes, really, it's a, um, it's a bill of attainder Now, it was a bill of attainder, of course, against the despotic King George III and Britain. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. The separation. Meaning, meaning, the separation from King George III and Britain because of their unjust treatment of the American colonies. 
no representation, no law and order, no rule of law, high taxes, no trade, no respect. So they're saying the laws of nature and nature's God give them the right to separate, to rebel. And I would say to you, it's not the same thing today, obviously, because we are a democracy because of the Declaration of Independence and, of course, the Constitution that followed it and the victorious Revolutionary War. But I think the voters of America today, in 2022, will go to the polls in November. We're already seeing early results in the various primaries and so forth. Those voters are going to vote to separate from the Biden administration and to separate from the Democratic-run Senate and especially the Democratic-run House. There is a separation movement going on here. It's a backlash against Mr. Biden's far-left progressivism. And that backlash is everywhere, every nook and cranny of the country, throughout the population, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, and so there's going to be a revolution. And in short, the cavalry's on the way, modern-day cavalry. People do not want big government socialism. They don't want uh, this great phrase that cropped up yesterday, first from Biden at the uh, NATO meeting in Spain and then his uh, national economic Council Director Brian Deese, that's a position I held during the Trump years. Uh, we have to stomach high gasoline and energy prices, record high prices, in order to preserve a liberal world order. No, we don't. I mean, a liberal world order, I'm not sure what they mean by that. Is that globalism? Is that the UN? Is that the IMF? Is that the World Bank? If it is, I'm opposed to it. If it means, uh, you know, respecting boundaries and treaties and sovereignty and basically stopping Vladimir Putin, I'm in favor of stopping Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. But that's no reason. That's no reason why we have to have $5 gasoline or just less than $5 gasoline or $120 oil. That's not, that's not the point. The point is his bad policies on energy and the environment. Not producing oil and gas and gasoline and refining. That's the problem. Defending Ukraine's uh, sovereignty is not the issue. It's what they've done at home and failed to do at home and damaged everybody in the process with record food prices and gasoline and diesel and disregard for truckers and so forth and so on. It's a big backlash. This is nonsense. It's not globalism. Defending Ukraine freedom is great. The way to defend Ukraine freedom, yes, give them all the arms and military and artillery that they need, absolutely. But the other piece that Biden wouldn't do, of course, is open the spigots for oil and gas, not gas, and gasoline, build new refineries, provide relief to Americans. Trump did it. 
We gave up energy independence. Our energy independence is the is the key point here. Anyway, I want to go back to the Declaration of Independence. The laws of nature and nature's God give everybody the right to separate from an oppressive regime. And that's what the founders did 246 years ago. And then comes, you know, probably the most famous paragraph, certainly in the annals of democracy, again, the most famous paragraph in all of, I think, English literature, and maybe accepting the Bible literature around the world. You know it. I know it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. The consent of the governed. And that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government. Folks, that's what's going on here. The cavalry is coming. The cavalry is coming because this Biden government has been destructive of these ends of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and it is therefore the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute a new government. Governments can only govern if they have the consent of the governed, and the governed are in full revolt right now. The governed are in full revolt. And so there is a separation coming. I say this on July 4th weekend because it's, you know what, it's just as important today as it was 246 years ago. Ours is a democracy, a representative government, so we will do it peacefully. We don't have to have a war. But this is what uh, Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and James Madison, this is what they were talking about. Withholding the consent of the governed and instituting a new government. All right? The cavalry is on the way. The cavalry is on the way. I mean, it kind of gives me a, you know, shiver down my spine. So let me take a quick break here, all right? I'm going to talk for a while about this. July 4th weekend It's so important that everybody understand the historical context, the political meaning. And uh, the good news is we will defeat the Biden government. We will defeat it. Biden is not exactly King George, but he's about as unpopular as King George. For all the reasons we're going to discuss today, you know them, folks, if you listen to this show. 
So I'm going to spend a little time fleshing this out. I'm Larry Kudlow. And by the way, uh, join us during the week, Fox Business. The name of the show is Kudlow. I'm taking a day or two off, but I'll be back uh, I'll be back next week. And on this show, you can live stream us all across the country. It's uh, wabcradio.com or it's the larrykudlowshow.com. Get us on the internet, live stream us throughout the United States, overseas, throughout the entire solar system. We have a terrific following around the solar system. I'll bet you there are people or something like people all around the solar system that would love to hear a good discussion of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What's that really mean? Why have we lost it? And how we're going to restore it. July 4th weekend. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. So, this is Larry Kudlow. And uh, happy July 4th weekend. The country's broken. The country is broken, but we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. And I want to talk some more about the Declaration of Independence. July 4th is about the Declaration of Independence. It's a celebration of the Declaration of Independence. That's the way I look at it. And that's the way I look at it. Every year I've done this radio show, which is over 20 years, a few years off for White House service, but I'm back and loving it. Grateful to uh, John and Margot Katsimatidis for giving me this show. It's I guess we've been back on now about a year and a half or so, which is great stuff, and I love doing it. And you can get us everywhere. Just li- just live stream us. Live stream us on the Internet, wabcradio.com or thelarrykudlowshow.com. You can hear us everywhere around the country, the world, the solar system. So I want to go back to this life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness because there's a little bit of a backstory here. A little bit of a backstory. Uh that phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, was originated by John Locke, who was a British philosopher and believer in freedom. He was a libertarian, a great believer of, a believer of freedom. He taught at Oxford University and other places. And he was uh, something of a pal of our founders, as it turns out. History suggests he was a pretty good pal of Jefferson and Franklin and Madison. Isn't that interesting? Now, the original phrase by John Locke was, and I quote, no absolute power over the lives, liberties, and estates of the people. No absolute power over the lives, liberties, and estates of the people. So from that comes life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Locke insisted on the rule of law and the sanctity of private property. He detested overbearing monarchical governments. And what Thomas Jefferson did, Jefferson, brilliant writer, brilliant thinker, Jefferson was also a pretty good marketing guy and knew how to sell a product. In this case, the product was independence for America. So, 
he kind of changed the phrase, took out estates and put in pursuit of happiness. So it became life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it worked. The documents sold like hotcakes. Immediately jumped to the number one on the bestseller list for the 13 colonies. I'm just taking some poetic license on this, but you get my drift. And that phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, has become the revolutionary rallying cry for democracy crusaders ever since and everywhere. Trouble is with this whole story is that we don't have the kind of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness in the U.S. right now. Most folks think they're substantially worse off than they were 18 months ago. And I regret to report, but this is the bill of attainder that was uh, part and parcel of the Declaration of Independence. Their bill of attainder was against King George III. Our bill of attainder is against King Joe Biden. No, that's not right. President Joe Biden. But almost every aspect of daily life is in decline. I mean, we've got record inflation, skyrocketing gas and grocery prices. We have falling real wages. We're probably in a recession right now. We have an overreaching government that believes it is all-powerful, with all kinds of command and control, regulatory status, authority. Although I must say, in the last week or 10 days, a constitutionally minded Supreme Court has done great work in curbing some of the regulatory state. But this crowd seeks to control information and limit free speech and curtail religious freedom keeping parents out of schools, radicalizing the education curriculum around things like race and gender and sexual identification, just wokeism, which is so unpopular. They are undermining law and order. There is a crime wave. They're more concerned with criminals, not the victims. They attack, this is amazing to me, they attack the Supreme Court. I mean, here's Joe Biden at the G7 and NATO this past week. And what does he talk about? Attacking the Supreme Court. Because he didn't like the Roe v. Wade decision. He didn't like the gun decision. And he didn't like the EPA decision. I'm going to talk a lot about the EPA decision. Because I think it puts a dagger in the heart of the Green New Deal and this radical climate change. Politics supposed to stop at the water's edge. Here's, here's all Biden can do. In fact, the other thing he's talking about is worldwide price controls on oil, which, which could mean here in the U.S. as well. Price controls, the dumbest, most socialistic thing possible, never worked. Of course it won't work in the future. They've declared war on fossil fuels. They've declared war on business. They don't like our system of capitalism. They have a radical green climate agenda. Their economics, spending, borrowing, 
printing money, no discipline, no purpose. That's why we're in a recession in 18 months. Imposing confiscatory taxes on successful entrepreneurs, on businesses. Sovereignty at the border is completely shot. Bungled our national security. Bungled Afghanistan. Always a dollar short and a day late and steps behind Putin in the Ukraine. Oh my gosh. One thing after another. That's the bill of attainder that the founders talked about in the revolutionary Declaration of Independence. So we're going to redeclare life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We're going to restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The cavalry is coming to restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A quick break. And I want to talk still some more about this story. But it is July 4th weekend, and it's a weekend to be celebrated. And you know what? The great people of this country will straighten this country out. Trust me, the cavalry is coming. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. So welcome back, folks. Larry Kudlow is still here. Still talking about the Declaration of Independence. You heard me with the Bill of Attainder against President Biden. It's um, it's like the Bill of Attainder against King George III. America's in decline, and that is not the America I know. And it will not stay in decline because of our democracy and the consent of the governed has been withdrawn from the government, right smack there in the Declaration. And I want to also say, if you look carefully at the Declaration, read this thing, one of the key points here is that our freedom, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, by nature's God, with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The point here is, it is our creator, it is God, that gives us the right to be free and independent and gives us the right to rebel against overbearing, absolutist, monarchical government. So the pecking order here is creator first, second, creator giving the rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness to individual men and women. They have the rights derived from God and they, they tell the government what to do. That's right. They tell the government what to do. Governments are instituted among men and women 
deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And if governments lack the consent of the governed, then the governed will overturn them. And that's what's going to happen this coming November in Congress and then hopefully in the presidential election in 2024. So these are very powerful themes. And right now, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is at low ebb. But as I say, and you know I'm an optimist, the country is rejecting Biden's big government socialism, rejecting his attempt to transform America into some woke, critical race theory, sex and gender identification, attempts to take over the schools and shut out the parents, attempts to turn us into some kind of green power country. I'm going to talk to uh, former EPA Commissioner Scott Pruitt in a few minutes to talk about this breathtakingly important Supreme Court decision on the uh, EPA and all of the uh, cap-and-trade greenhouse gas emissions where the regulators, the administrative state, the deep state bureaucrats have attempted to usurp democracy and make laws that they are not empowered constitutionally to make. It's a fabulous decision. Puts a dagger into the Green New Deal. But I want to add also here, some very poor economic numbers tell us how difficult our position is here in the middle of 2020. The uh, first quarter GDP was revised lower to minus 1.6%, minus 1.6%. And then the GDP tracking model from the Atlanta Federal Reserve just came out yesterday with a new estimate for the second quarter, minus 2.1%. Now, whether that constitutes a form of recession or not, The reality is we have two straight minus quarters. So the first half of the year is minus 1.9%. That's how much we've lost life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as far as working folks are concerned, there's an 8% plus inflation rate to go along with the minus 1.9% recessionary GDP reading and Real worker wages are down 3.3%, minus 3.3%. That's a string of very bad minuses with a big plus of 8% inflation. And I don't know how the heck we got there. In 18 months, I mean, at the end of Donald Trump's term, we had an economy that was rising at 6.5%, plus 6.5%. 
real wages rising significantly, living standards rising significantly, inequality down, poverty down, recovering from COVID with a strong V-shaped recovery with about 1.5% inflation. We've gone from plus 6.5% growth with 1.5% inflation to minus nearly 2% growth with at least 8% inflation. And we've gone from rising living standards to falling living standards in 18 months. That is not an easy thing to do. But basically, all of Biden's policies, you know, they've, they've gone from free market, free enterprise capitalism to big government socialism. With attacks, attacks, on free speech and religious freedom, attacks on parents, open borders, embarrassing, catastrophic foreign policy, and shocking increases in all manner of energy, which powers this country. I mean, late yesterday, late last night, the Interior Department and the Biden administration announced that they are halting offshore leasing, both Atlantic and Pacific. A halt. No more. This is just another blow. We'll, we'll talk to Scott Pruitt about this in a few moments. And they talk about Americans have to sacrifice for a liberal world order. Well, first of all, I believe in America first. That's what I learned from my former boss, Mr. Donald Trump. But the point is, I don't know what a liberal world order means. If a liberal world order means observing international law and sovereignty and borders, okay, I am for that. If it means the UN or the World Court or the G7 or the G20, blah, blah. I'm not for that. I don't care. Those institutions, in my opinion, are no good, unhelpful. They're more socialist than we are, for heaven's sakes. Or maybe Biden wants to catch up and make us just as socialist as they are. My friend uh, Mark Levin, my dear friend Mark Levin, calls it American Marxism. He may be right. Marxism's a tough word, but you know what? He's probably right. I don't want to quibble with him. He's smarter than I am. But the point is, observing international boundaries is a good thing. But there is no reason to blame record gas prices and oil prices and to stomp on 80% of our power this war against fossil fuels, which is part of a war against business, which is part of a war against capitalism, so all that is, from the socialists running this country right now, running our government, they don't, they don't have to be connected. They should have turned the spigots on. They should have stopped these crazy ideas of radical climate change, which is no basis in fact. We don't. That has, doesn't have to be synonymous with observing international borders. 
They're separate issues. In fact, we are still lining the pockets of Vladimir Putin and his Russia with these record high oil prices. Still, to this day, we have not cut it off. India and China are making up the difference from our sanctions. The sanctions have been defeated. Putin has outfoxed us. The solution is not sanctions. The solution was drill, drill, drill. Refine, refine, refine. Pipeline, pipeline, pipeline. That was the solution. And that is what the July 4th rebellion is all about, in my opinion. That and some of the related matters. The consent of the governed, the consent of the governed is being withdrawn from the government. Americans who are free endowed by their creator with the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We will restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, okay? We will restore. The cavalry is coming. America is in revolt today, much as it was 246 years ago on July 4th, 1776. But this is a day, tomorrow is a day, Monday is a day to be celebrated. Our freedoms must be celebrated because we have the power and the moral backing from God to change this and preserve our freedom and our democracy and our free enterprise economy and our prosperity and our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Larry Kudlow. We will be right back with Scott Pruitt, former EPA commissioner, to tell us about this fabulous Supreme Court decision knocking down the EPA made on Thursday. Stick around, folks. We'll be right back. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is The Larry Kudlow Show. We're going to jump right in. My pal Scott Pruitt, who was a commissioner or administrator of the Environment Protection Agency, the EPA, under Donald Trump. And um, Scott, welcome back. Uh, This fabulous decision by the Supremes on uh, Thursday, which is a great curtailment of the EPA and its power to regulate carbon emissions for power plants. I guess it's mostly coal and natural gas, Um, no emissions caps, the the Power Act that was started by Obama, which could never get through Congress, Uh, you came up with your own, as I recall, Affordability Act, Um, I mean, I'd say you won this retrospectively, Scott Pruitt. He should be very happy. Guy. Well, Larry, Larry, let, me, let me tell you, what a great day for rule of law and, <laughs> separation, and separation of powers constitutionally. I mean, the, the problem with the EPA, and it's not just the EPA, it's all the various forms of administrative agencies against the federal, across the federal government, but the, the, the EPA is the greatest culprit. The, the last time that the Clean Air Act was amended in this country was 1990, 32 years ago. So the last time that Congress touched the Clean Air Act 
to deal with issues like carbon or power generation or these issues that was before the court was 32 years ago. And the court basically said fundamentally that, hey, executive branch, you can't legislate in the place of Congress. I mean this is fifth-grade civics. Hmm. You know, the executive, the, the executive branch exists to enforce the law. The legislative branch exists to do what? Pass the laws as, as represented by the people. And, and what's happening across the deep state, the fourth branch of government, the regulatory state in Washington, D.C., is that they've taken license. They've basically inserted themselves in the place of Congress and passed rules and regulations in place of legislation. And the court said no more. So this is a far-reaching decision. It's not just the EPA that's going to be impacted. It's not just this issue. It's across all the federal bureaucracy. And I'll tell you, in another area that you're very aware of, Larry, it's going to be impacted by this, are the climate rules with the SEC. Yes. I mean, one of the, pri- one of the, one of the primary complaints against what the SEC is doing is where is it the statute? Has Congress spoken to this? And clearly they have not. And so the, the SEC is just making it up out of whole cloth, just like the EPA did in Obama. And you're exactly right. When I came in for President Trump, we repealed the Clean Power Plan. We rejected that rule and said effectively that the statute didn't authorize it. And then we took steps to do that which the statute required and allowed. And, and, and that isn't radical. That's right. It's going to affect, yeah, the, the Securities Exchange Commission has written this multi-hundred-page document. It's all about climate change, forcing companies uh, to publish information not just the, not just their uh, climate, not just their emissions, but their customers, their suppliers, direct, indirect, cumulative. But that's what the EPA law, uh, uh, standards have set down. And you see it, you know, yesterday, Scott, I'm sure you saw, the Bidens is uh, not going to provide or open up any new leases on the uh, Atlantic side or the Pacific side, if they can get away with it, but that was their original decision. Interior Department uh, rejecting permits, uh, Energy Department rejecting permits. But here's my link, Scott. You I need your need your help on this. These agencies, departments, are rejecting energy permits of all kinds: refining, pipelining drilling, fracking, and so forth, on the basis of these environmental restrictions and regulations and overkill coming out of the EPA. Again, it's direct, it's indirect, it's cumulative, it's 100 years backwards, 100 years forecast. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, I want to come back to the EPA, but does this uh, Supreme Court decision have any impact on this uh, end to permits that's coming out of energy and interior? Well, it depends. It depends on how specifically the statutes curtail those particular agencies' authority. Because I think what the court is saying, Larry, fundamentally, is you just can't make it up. There's something called the the non-delegation doctrine constitutionally, meaning that one branch of government can't delegate its authority to another. And the Mm -hmm. founders were big about that. The founders were big about you know, having the separation of powers horizontally between the judicial, the legislative, and the executive. And, and Justice Scalia talked about this a lot. He called it structural federalism. And so, so the court is, is focused upon saying, hey, these regulations you're passing, EPA, and it does, across, it does apply across the spectrum. So, so in answer to your question, yes, all those agencies will now be awakened 
to the fact that they can't just simply make it up and fill in the space for Congress. The court is saying, Congress, you must act, because otherwise the people's representatives, the voters, you know, that we send to Congress, I mean, we don't have a voice in that process. You don't have a voice in a bureaucratic decision when there's, it's untethered to a statute. It's just being made up. It's the technocrat approach that Democrats like to take. And I will tell you, Larry, what's so fascinating to me is to read the criticism you know, by Justice Kagan in, in the dissent. But more than that, people outside of the, the process saying, well, goodness gracious, if this has to go back to Congress, Congress is so dysfunctional. How will anything ever get done? Well, that's, that's Congress's problem. That's not the court's problem. That's the court's problem. I mean, I, I just so I'm so thankful the court is doing the job of saying, look, Congress, you must do your job. Jealously guard what you're required to do. And if you don't, we're going to strike down these rules and regulations that the bureaucratic state are passing. Yeah, you know, on that SEC thing, they are the Securities Exchange Commission, and and there are lots of laws. Uh, going way back to the 1930s that support that. But Scott Pruitt, uh, they're not the Securities and Environmental Commission. Exactly. There's, there's, exactly. No, there's no legal, statutory, congressional authority that enables exactly. them right, to turn themselves into another EPA. Exactly. And what <laughs> should occur tomorrow? What should occur tomorrow if it first day that the courts open next week, if it hasn't been on, done already? If they've, if they've issued, which they have, as I understand, final rules with respect to these climate disclosures, those rules ought to be challenged on their face for violating what the Supreme Court just did. Hmm. Because there is no power in the statute to do what they did, and they can't just simply expand it at their own whim. They have to be authorized to do so. I mean, it, it is fundamentally fifth-grade civics. Now, we don't teach fifth-grade civics anymore in this country. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and the left and the Democrats really don't care about anything about process. All they care about is results and intimidation and all the things that you know go in the marketplace. And the fact of the matter is they can't pass what they want to pass on any number of these issues, not because Congress is dysfunctional, it's because the people don't want it. The people don't want that to pass through Congress. And that, so what do they do? They use the deep state, the bureaucratic state, which is what I was focused on at the EPA. I mean, mm. President, Trump called me on the, President Trump called me on the day of my confirmation, Larry. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but he said, you know, you're in the second most important position in my cabinet. Behind only the Secretary of Defense. Now, he may have called everybody and said that. I don't know. <laughs> but 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 I don't I don't think so. He understood the relationship between the EPA and the shackles that have been put on the economy by what? The whims of bureaucrats and not by Congress. And he told me to fix it and we did. And and in, in less than eighteen months we were energy independent, uh, as you know, and dominant on the world stage. And look at where we are four years later because of a radical left agenda being passed through the bureaucratic state and not through Congress. You know, Scott Pruitt, he called me when he brought me into the National Economic Council, but but he said I was the fourth most important guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to keep watch on the first three. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. That, that was the. That was the. Yes, that was the NEC rule. <laughs> um, you know what? I, let. Uh, how much time do I have for this segment? Because, Scott, I want to keep you for a while. i got 40 seconds in this segment. So, Scott, let's take a break, okay? You can get a cup okay. of coffee. i got to take a commercial break for about four or five minutes. And I want to get you to come back 
because I want you to tell us what this means for the Green New Deal and all this radical climate change stuff. It looks to me like it put a dagger into the heart of it, but you tell us. Folks, I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking to former EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, who knows all about this stuff. And let's get our hats off to the Supreme Court for doing its Lord's constitutional work. We'll be right back. Please stick around. I'm Kudlow. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. July 4th weekend. Happy July 4th weekend. We are restoring life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's been a terrible 18 months. America's in decline, but it's not going to last. And um, one of the issues here is this uh, transformational climate change, woke, Green New Deal nonsense, the war against fossil fuels, which is really part and parcel of the war against business, which is really part and parcel of Joe Biden's war against free market uh, enterprise or free market capitalism. Anyway, we have Scott Pruitt, former administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, and uh, he's the uh, CEO of ESP Consulting. So, Scott, let's pick this up. Thanks for hanging around. We appreciate it very, very much. And um, what do you think is this? uh, The EPA cannot put these caps on on power plants, uh, as I understand it, West Virginia being the leader. But they had many states co-sponsoring the lawsuit Um, in a practical way. How does this impact uh, Biden's war against fossil fuels in your judgment, Scott Pruitt? So well said uh, as far as in a practical way, Larry, because, you know, there is a there's something that goes on when you have these agencies passing these mandatory regulations, you know, when they're trying to shift power generation to solar and wind and away from fossil fuels through regulate regulations. And it's this utilities use that as an excuse to go out and close coal and natural gas. And replace it with new generation. And the reason that occurs, Larry, is because they get to earn eight to ten to twelve percent on on the the capital outlay. You know, because they are regulated entities at the state level, so they go to the corporation commissions of the respective states, the power corporation commissions, and say, "We have to close this coal plant. We have to close this natural gas plant. That's going to it's going to cost us a billion or a billion and a half or two billion dollars to replace it with this kind of infrastructure." And then they earn ten to twelve percent on that. And, and, and guaranteed, you know, on, on the bonded indebtedness and the capital outlay. And so th- there's always been this relationship between regulation, mandatory regulation, forcing this upon the market, the power generation market, and utilities working to close as, as fast as they can power generation. They should be focused on what? Reliability and, re- and resiliency of the grid, okay, and doing it in a cost-effective way. But they use the regulations to shut down power generation that's that's in the fossil fuel category and replace it with the renewables, and they get their money on top of it. So this will have an impact there. You know, no longer will the utilities be able to say, "Oh, the EPA has passed the Clean Power Plan," or they passed this. You know, it's forthcoming. You know, in fact, they built into their, you know, their their submissions at the state level, oftentimes a, a, a cap, a, a carbon tax instead mm-hmm. of carbon tax is coming, or cap and, or cap and trade is coming. None of that's in statute. But they use those kinds of things and regulations on the mandatory side to say we've got to close down all this generation. No longer will they be able to do that, uh, which is a good thing. But, but, but another area, Larry, that, that, that probably is not as impacted 
or all these ESG requirements that multinational companies are, are doing on their own initiative with boards, you know, the respective companies, the publicly traded companies. And they're doing that all because of what? Media pressure. And, and, and they're coming in and passing these EG, ESG requirements, then we're going to be carbon neutral by 2025 or carbon neutral by 2030. I mean, how is Delta going to become carbon neutral? They, are, they already claim that they, they are. I mean, are they going to quit flying planes? I mean, so, so uh, no. I mean, so, so how are they going to do that? Through carbon offsets, you know, buying carbon offsets in the marketplace, which the voluntary market, the SG requirements in the voluntary market as far as carbon offsets, I think will continue. But those mandatory rulemaking requirements being placed upon utilities will go away, which will affect their, in, their ability to claim we've got to shut down coal generation and fossil fuel generation. Um, there's one here. Uh, Biden had set a uh, carbon-free electricity by 2035. He also set uh, a 32% cut in carbon emissions by 2030. Now, those kinds of targets, uh, I presume, would be undermined by this Supreme Court decision. That's correct. Absolutely. And, and I don't know which form those took, if they took, you know, if they were executive order, which likely they were, but, you know, they could have been guidance of some sort issued by the White House. They're really not worth the paper they're written on. Right. Because, you know, they, they have to be carried out by whom? They have to be carried out by the, the, the administrative agencies, the executive branch agencies, EPA and others. And, they can, and those agencies can only act according to what Congress has passed. So this, this act, or this decision by the U.S. Supreme Court reemphasizes we're going we're gonna to come in and start respecting the powers of each of the respective branches. I mean, it's a great day to be celebrating this on July Fool's weekend. I know. I mean, the federal courts and the, and the Supreme Court may be the last surviving branch of our constitutional framework. I mean, the legislative branch is inactive. All they do is spend money, and they spend way too much of it. Mm. Uh, they don't pass any substantive legislation, and the executive branch is imperial. Yes. You know, doing doing the job of and doing the job of Congress through executive order and through regulations. You know, the the, the U.S. Supreme Court has shown its metal. You know, over the last couple of months, by saying, you know what, our job is to interpret the law, to enforce these provisions, uh, and to determine whether Congress has done its duty. And and they made it very clear in this case, Congress, you have failed immensely to do your duty. You've not spoken. You've not addressed these issues at all. And until you do, the EPA has no power. Right, and. Uh... And the Biden administration is the King George III of 2022. And that's what this show is all about, because we're going to restore life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Uh, Scott Pruitt, another one. Uh, the power of the states right now, is this enhanced? Is there a federalism a hook to this? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And I mentioned it earlier because the, the utilities are all governed. The power sector is all governed uh, largely by corporations commission, commissions at the state level. They uh, come in and they set the, the, mar- the market, you know, their requirement, they, uh, you know, as far as their power generation, the allocation, how they spend money, et cetera, what the rates are that they charge. You know, so that's why you had West Virginia. I actually was involved in the original challenge, Larry, as attorney general for Oklahoma on the clean power plan under President Obama because he did the same thing. I mean, he took, he, and that's what really generated West Virginia's lawsuit at the outset. And, and the collection of cases. So, so it's all about you know the the, the U.S. government not forcing or taking over the, the the power reserved to the states, which is to determine 
uh, utilities and how much they charge and, the, and how to make sure that we have a reliable, resilient, uh, resilient grid. What do you think? Uh, I just got to get you. Uh, it's, it's not exactly EPA, but um, I was pretty surprised. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, uh, but you got the uh, Interior Department declaring late last night. I mean, they always do this when they put out the bad news on a holiday weekend, Friday night. Anyway, uh, they're not going to grant any offshore leases for the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans, despite what Biden has said. Now, some people are saying, well, they didn't rule out the Gulf of Mexico and they didn't rule out Alaska. But actually, uh, a few weeks or a month ago, they did rule out Alaska and they did rule out leases in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, here they go again. Now, I guess my big picture point here is Biden wants to end fossil fuels, end fossil fuels. Eighty percent of our power and energy comes from fossil fuels. He wants to end it. I would think that this Supreme Court decision puts a dagger in the heart of that goal. No doubt. I mean, no doubt, because the way you shift away from fossil fuels is to force utilities to have a reason or license to do so. Mm. And the the reason or license that they've used historically is the EPA requiring them to shift, Mm. power shifting. And and that's what this was all about, was this power shifting from fossil fuels to renewables. And look, look, we've lost in this whole debate. You have blackouts in Texas. You have blackouts in Oklahoma, not just blackouts in California. Our grid today is less reliable, less resilient because of the craziness out of Washington, D.C., with respect to how we generate power. I mean, we ought to have truly nuclear, fossil fuels, have renewables, but it's, renewables are not dispatchable. You know, if, you, if the sun's not shining and, and the wind's not blowing, that power's not dispatchable. Mm. Uh, coal is on – you can store coal, a solid, what, hydrocarbon, on site at a, at a utility and have it dispatchable within moments mm. if, you've got a, if, you, if you've got demand. And so our grid today is becoming like Europe's. It's becoming less reliable. Do you know France today, Larry, is over 70% nuclear for its power generation? Mm. So, I mean, that provides reliability and resiliency and what? Lower emissions. But but in this country, you know, you can't get the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and others to to take the new technology we have on small modular technology for nuclear for a city-by-city basis and actually put it in place. I mean, we've said no to nuclear. We've said no to fossil fuels, and, and this administration is preaching this Disneyland theme of just, hey, we're just going to be all wind and solar. Go yeah. ask Germany how that's worked. Go ask <laughs> Germany how that's worked. All right. Help is on the way. The cavalry is coming. The Supreme Court made a tremendous decision. Uh, Scott Pruitt, former administrator of the EPA, thank you for walking us through this. Folks, I'm Larry Cudler. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota has a new book, Not My First Rodeo, and we're going to talk to her about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. All right, folks, welcome back. I'm Larry Kudlow. I'm going to jump right in, bring in my friend, Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota. She's got a new book out, Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland. Governor Nome, thank you. You were terrific on the TV show this week. I wanted to get to you. Um, probably should have done this on the TV, but I didn't get there. South Dakota's big farmland state. And actually, you grew, up, you grew up on a farm, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. I, I kind of skimmed your book. So <laughs> we got ourselves an energy crisis. Now, the Supreme Court did a fabulous job uh, tearing down these unelected uh, regulatory administrative state agencies. We just had Scott Pruitt on walking through it with us. But for a farmland state with food prices soaring, grocery prices soaring, and energy prices soaring, what has Biden's crazy climate change Green New Deal done to your state and to your farms? Yeah, well, thank you, Larry. This is an important subject. I've been talking about our food supply chain as a national security issue for probably 15 years now. And when you have the policies like Biden does that attack our energy sector and attack our food prices the way that they have, it's devastating. So agriculture is our number one industry in the state of South Dakota. Tourism is number two, which is interesting because that impacts gas prices as well. How many people want to take a road trip in the summertime to come see Mount Rushmore? But our farmers out here literally feed the world. And right now they're spending thousands of dollars more per week to run their tractors, to run their trucks, to put the food in the ground and hope that this fall there'll be something there that they can go harvest and continue to put groceries on the shelf. So that's what's challenging is is to see these policies totally self-inflicted on the United States of America, making us more dependent on our enemies for our energy, when literally what most people don't realize is agriculture goes to the bank every spring and borrows the money, borrows mm-hmm. the money to put in the crop, pay interest rates, and then they put it in the dirt. And then they hope that it'll rain, the sun will shine, and there'll be something to go back and get four or five months later. So it's a very risky business. And when you've got bad policies like this coming out of Washington, D.C., it's devastating for food costs, but also for our dependence on other countries to feed us. What about the fertilizer aspect of this? Well, it's interesting because we've got very few companies that own the fertilizer supply chain. So it's very consolidated. Um, We've got a lot of foreign interests in our fertilizer companies. I've been saying for a couple of years now, listen, you got China buying up our chemical companies. They're buying up our fertilizer companies. Now they're buying hundreds and thousands of acres of land in the United States. Um, they have our processing systems. You know, we heard during COVID a lot about my my um, processing plant here in South Dakota. It's Chinese-owned. Uh, you know, they know, they are smart enough to know that when they control our food, they will control us. If we think a pandemic was scary, wait until you've got China deciding whether we eat or not. Now, you have oil and gas interests in South Dakota? We have some, but not much. You know, I always I tell people all the time, we've got a few rigs here in South Dakota, but North Dakota got all the oil. Uh, yeah. South Dakota got Mount Rushmore, um, which we're okay. We, we, we're okay with Mount Rushmore. We're pretty proud of, of that, especially around this time of year. But, um, but no, a lot of that energy sector is up in North Dakota, but quite a few of our folks go up there and work. They'll go up there and work for a couple of weeks and then come home for a week. So it's pretty important to us what happens in North Dakota as well. You know, Keystone was coming through our state. Oh, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. Sure, sure, sure. But the Bidens won't let you celebrate July 4th at Mount Rushmore. 
No, and it's crazy. You know, Larry, for years we had fireworks at Mount Rushmore. With tourism being our second largest industry, it was a great chance for us to market our state and to celebrate our freedom. Uh, we, we did that for years. Obama took them away first. Uh, we got them back with President Trump, and you probably remember that fabulous night we had on July 3rd mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when Trump spoke at Mount Rushmore. But as soon as Joe Biden got into office, he immediately denied us our permit. So we're suing him. Um, we, you know, the, what's interesting, people ask me, Chrissy, why is this such a big deal? And the reason it's a big deal is because he's breaking federal law to keep us from having this celebration. There's a federal statute called the Administrative Procedures Act that if we check all the boxes on environmental concerns and wildfire and consult with people and partners that we have to be given the permit to host the celebration, we met all those requirements. They still, though, are denying us the permit just to be punitive. So we'll win in court. It's just that we're getting slow walked right now. You know, um, I guess it it broke yesterday, but this business about Biden saying, and then his NEC uh, director saying that the price we have to pay for helping Ukraine, the price we have to pay for (laughs) something called a, a liberal world order is high gasoline prices and energy prices. And, yeah. you know, Christy, Governor Noam, I that is nonsense. If he wanted yeah. to drill, 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 prices would be at 50 or $60. Gasoline would be two and a quarter. I mean, we, we can defend Ukraine's sovereignty. I think that's what they're referring to, Ukraine's sovereignty. If they're referring to the UN or the G7, I don't care about that stuff at all but i'm just saying okay (laughs) defend ukraine's borders all right that's probably worth fighting for globally uh you know law and order but that has nothing it's his energy policies that Mm -hmm. have led to right to five dollar gasoline etc etc no you're exactly right what he said yesterday was insane in fact we were i was pretty aggressive pushing back on it say no it's not a liberal world order that we're it's how about we go back to america first and start looking at what's good for our people here. I mean, that's it's been such a 180 um, with this administration from the last one. I tell people every day when President Trump was in the White House, I was on offense every day. I was mm. I had problems. Trump would help me solve them. I could say this regulation's stupid, get rid of it, and they'd help me fix it. I would tell them I, this will help me get more people back to work, and it was awesome. I could do my job. What happened with Biden is I immediately went on defense. All I do now, and the only tool I have as governor, is really to sue them in federal court. And that's just, and you have to be strategic about how you do that. That's the way you push back against an overbearing federal government. But they are fundamentally trying to remake America into a socialist nation. And they're doing it by trying to sell the public on the fact that this liberal world order is in our best interests, Mm -hmm. which it would destroy our security and our kids will grow up in a very, very different country than we ever had the chance to. Larry, this is America's the greatest experiment in all of history. Um, And our founders gave us something very special. It's important that we make sure we're educating people about, you know, how unique it is what we have here and that it does need to be protected from crazy administrations like Biden's. So Governor Christy Noem has written Not My First Rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland. Governor, you know, the numbers are coming in. We just got some very bad numbers from the GDP tracker from the Atlanta Fed. So the deal is, it looks, we have negative growth 
in the first half of this year. Negative growth. Looks like we'll be down about 2%. We have about an 8 to 10% inflation rate. Real worker wages have fallen 3.3% for the past 12 months. So in 18 months, we've gone from 6.5% growth with less than 2% inflation to a recession with 10% inflation. I mean, you talk about socialism, boy. I mean, that's not easy to destroy a, a good story in just 18 months. It's remarkable, but can I can I tell you something pretty shocking? Are you yes. ready, Larry? I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> South Dakota, South Dakota has the number one economy in the country right now. We are growing like gangbusters. Our incomes are going up faster than anywhere else. I have less than 600 people in the entire state of South Dakota that are on unemployment right now. Everybody is working. They're making more money. Um, We have more money in reserves than we've ever had. Our revenues in the state coming in, we don't have income taxes, Mm. you know, or personal property taxes or corporate taxes. All we have is a four and a half cent sales tax and we have historic revenues in our Mm. state. Hundreds of businesses are moving here. Tens of thousands of people are moving to South Dakota. And it's because we just did what conservatives say they believe we did it here and people are recognizing it it really is the state of freedom and it's the exact contrast to what biden's doing to america governor christie no governor christie no supply side south dakota book is not my first rodeo one click on amazon thank you governor folks i'm larry kudlow we're going to take a quick break on the other side we're going to have the great senator phil graham on student loans on inflation on recession But we will restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We will. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is The Larry Kudlow Show. We are celebrating July 4th weekend, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We want to restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we bring in one of our favorites and our mentor, former Senator Phil Graham of the great state of Texas, a visiting scholar with the American Enterprise Institute. And I want to get to inflation and recession. It looks like the first half of this year was negative GDP. But Senator Graham's got an op-ed piece, this week's Wall Street Journal, Student Loan Forgiveness is a Political Bribe. I guess so. I don't know. I think it's going to be pretty unpopular. Anyway, Senator Graham, welcome back. Um, You think this is a great, brilliant political move by Joe Biden? And you think the country is going to support, um, what is it, uh, uh, six, uh, six, uh, I don't know, how many, six million students? will be uh, have their loans forgiven anyway 45 well, well 45, 45 million if he goes with the the whole thing with the ten thousand uh, okay. dollar forgiveness look i think if he could have given 45 million people ten thousand dollars each which would have been the the largest gift made as a part of a political election in American history, and will be if he makes it. I think if he could have done that without a public policy debate about it, that it might have been uh, successful. Um, But 
the problem is that it had for him is that there has now been such a debate about it that you've got 179 million people that are over 25 years old who have either gone to college and paid off their loans or they work to go to college. Uh, their parents sacrificed their pensions for them to go to college or they never went to college. So the point is, while 45 million people are being given $10,000 apiece, what about the 179 million that are paying for it? And Not so good. I think in the end that it ends up being a bad political move. But look, I, and, and it's so easy to be critical, but this administration over and over and over again, when it comes right down to it, their go-to play is to give away something. <laughs> and uh, this yeah. is a big giveaway. This is $400 billion with a B dollars. And this is real money. It's going to be added to the debt. And then what is going to happen to the student loan program in the future? Uh, if we've forgiven $10,000 of debt to people in the past, are we going to do it in the future? Are we going to forgive more? And finally, Larry, let me say that you've got about 20% of the people who've gotten student loans who have never made a single payment. And the interest on it has built up and been added to the principal. Many of them used the money for living expenses, and they had no intention of ever paying it back. And so to what extent does society have a responsibility uh, to pay off their debt when the average person who went to college even if they never got a degree, earns 10 times more in their lifetime because they went to college than the average outstanding student loan debt. And people that got a degree earn 40 times. And people that got uh, master's and doctorates earn 53 times and 80 times. And people that got law degrees and medical degrees earn 100 times the average outstanding debt how is it taxpayers owe them money? Mm. Uh, and the final point, enough said, is that we recently had the Biden um, uh, forgiveness of $8 billion to government employees. Now, government employees uh, earn more on average, have better retirement programs, have more job security than the average American does. When Ronald Reagan was president, we discovered that we had a significant number of people in the Department of Education that had defaulted on guaranteed student loans. So guess what the president did? He garnished the wages of government employees <laughs> who were in default on their guaranteed student loan. Well, what does Biden do? He forgives their loan. <laughs> so so let, me, uh, yeah. let me get this right. Those people with some college degrees or full college degrees or graduate degrees or law degrees or medical degrees make whatever, 53 times, 10 times, 53 times, 100 times uh, above the debt. 
they don't need it. They don't need it. But the rest of the country, you're talking about 179 million Americans, they are the ones who are paying for it or, you know, they either got something or nothing. So that is, those are bad numbers. I mean, I think those are bad political, the economics are terrible, but I actually think the politics are worse. Well, there is no economic argument for it. Uh, it's all politics. And the Democrats, the, the amazing thing to me is they don't try to hide it. This is about politics, 100%. Unless we buy these votes, we're going to lose the election. Um, and, um, you know, for the people who on the 4th of July are going to do a cookout and pay 17% more for the ingredients of that cookout than they paid last year, this is not going to be welcome news. Um so I don't see it as good politics. We'll see. Well, you know, we're going to have an election in November. And uh, it's where we have an opportunity to change things if people want to do it. Yes, the consent of the governed has uh, been removed from the government. And to quote Thomas Jefferson, there's going to be a separation. No, the cavalry is coming. Can I just put you another another factoid? Uh, according to Sally May, okay, which is runs this student loan program and and uh, the marketplace of student loans, uh, parents' income and savings cover nearly half of college costs, forty five percent. Free money from scholarships and grants from the colleges accounts for another twenty five percent. Student borrowing, Phil, only covers 11% of the cost. That's a weird thing. It's a minor part of the cost on top of all these other stats that you've given us. Yeah, well, again, like I say, these horror stories you hear are from a small number of people right, who never made a payment, who never intended to pay the loan back. And who took the money, they paid their living expenses, they either majored in something that had no value in the marketplace, or they never got a degree. And now they're saying, well, I owe all this money. Uh, What are you going to do about it? Uh, Well, where I come from, you owe money, you pay it back. (laughs) Uh, Yes. uh, (laughs) But anyway... Uh, it's uh, and, and it goes on. Uh, I thought you were when you talked about the uh, the housing agency. Now, apparently, there's an effort underway to lower the amount of money we charge to guarantee loans uh, for houses at the very time the government is mm-hmm. pressing lenders to make subprime loans. I mean, it seems we never learn anything. But in any case. Uh, by, by the way, example. I was just going to say, interest rates are so low, or were, they were so low, they should have paid down all this stuff in 2020 and 2021. They had a window to pay down everything because rates were so low, rates were tiny. And then the capital, you know, capitalized the lower rates into the principal, it would have been a lot cheaper to pay down the loan, the principal alone too. I mean, they actually missed a good market opportunity to do this. People could have done this individually. uh, On student loans, 
People, Americans, have three times as much money in their checking account as they did the day the pandemic started. Yeah. And yet we have let them not pay their student loans mm. for two years. Mm. I, I, it just doesn't make any sense. I, I don't uh, uh, I just don't get it. And I would be embarrassed to be making the argument. I, yeah, the, you know, it's so, so tempting when you're an old guy and you left Washington to uh, say, uh, it wasn't as bad when I was there, but I, I just can't imagine arguing to do some of the things that uh, this administration and its supporters are arguing that we do. I just don't think I could do it. Uh, uh, I wouldn't do it, uh, but I don't see how people do it with a straight face. Um, that's that's why the cavalry is coming. That is why the cavalry is coming. That is why the the consent, the consent of the governed, has deserted the government, and to put it in at July Fourth, Senator Phil Graham, take a break. I want you to come back. Uh, We got bad news. It looks like the first half of the economy, the first half of the year, the economy shrank. It looks like GDP is actually negative. We may be in a recession with eight to ten percent inflation. Real wages have fallen. I want you to talk about that uh, and the ups and downs. So if you just hang around for us, folks, we're talking to the great Senator Phil Graham, uh, a great friend and mentor, formerly Republican in Texas. He's an AI visiting scholar, and uh, he knows a lot about stuff. Anyway, this is July 4th weekend, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. We are going to restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow, July 4th, restoring life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are here with the great Senator Phil Graham, formerly Republican of Texas, AI visiting scholar, a great friend, a mentor to me, and uh, right-thinking people everywhere. So, Senator Graham, we got um, the GDP tracking model from the Atlanta Fed, just registered minus 2.1% GDP in the second quarter. Now, we're waiting for the June data, but that's a pretty bad omen. Uh, The GDP revision for the first quarter was minus 1.6%. That's from the uh, Bureau of uh, Commerce, so those are official numbers. The inflation rate is still running 8 to 10%, maybe a little less. The PCE deflator is about 7 to 8%. My question, I mean, how did we get here? 18 months ago, the economy was growing at plus 6.5%, less than 2% inflation, real wages and living standards going up. Here we are 18 months later, and the whole thing has fallen apart, Senator Graham. What you make of it? Well, well, look, I, I think it's as clear as any cause and effect that I've ever seen in economics, and I've been fooling with economics now for a lifetime. The federal government in a 16-month period increased government spending by 50, 5-0%. The, the Fed bought 
much of the debt issued by government to fund that program. And in doing so, it increased the money supply faster than in any year in the post-World War II period. So to act as if anyone should be shocked (laughs) that prices went up when you increased spending by 50% and you printed more new money in the year than you printed in any year since the Second World War. I mean, I don't know how you can claim that that is not as clear and convincing and as clear and convincing evidence as you could possibly present as to what happened and how anybody could argue that you could do that and that prices would not go up is absolutely beyond me. I I don't get it. Uh, What what happened is we printed a bunch of money at the time when production was down and prices shot up. That's what happened. So Joe Biden told us from the NATO meeting that if we defending the liberal world order is the cause of the price spikes. Well, prices were already up. uh, (laughs) I don't uh, get that. Four fifths of what they are now before that war ever started. Um. No, look, there's no doubt about the fact the war has had an effect, but it's not the cause. Uh, This is inflation that was made in Washington. The policy that was undertaken could have produced no other result than the result we've gotten. And now we're in a situation where we're moving into a period, uh, to to use a term that is largely forgotten since the quarter era, into a period of stagflation where we've got the worst of both worlds. We have prices rising, and we've got production declining. And when employment starts to decline, then I guess people will bring back the misery index. Mm-hmm. The unemployment rate plus the inflation rate. We've certainly yeah. brought back the misery. I don't know whether we'll bring back the yeah. index or not. But in any case, it's it, thing, it is so easy. Inflation is like a war. It's easy to start. It's mm-hmm. very, very hard to get out of. You know, uh, in economic policy terms, one of the points here, I think, is Whatever, we've had price shocks, individual price shocks. Uh, Yes, from the war, energy, but as you say, it started earlier. Uh, We've had pandemic supply shocks, supply chain shocks. But the thing is, Senator, the Fed monetized all these shocks. They did exactly the wrong thing. You know, in the 70s, remember, we had the Arab oil embargo and so forth, and the Fed monetized it. They added money. They accommodated the price shock. I mean, I have to think that's one of the biggest mistakes this Federal Reserve. I understand the government spending part and the borrowing part. The Fed monetized that also, but they also monetized these supply shocks. And that tells me that this Fed doesn't know what it's doing, learned nothing from the past. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say it exactly that way. I think I would say it this way. The government policy that increased spending by 50% produced a situation where using the argument that we were in a deep recession and nobody knew when we were going to get out, this is because of the pandemic, Uh, The Fed then came in and made it all easy and, quote, painless in the short run by printing a bunch of money to facilitate it. Um, I don't, in describing blame, I put more blame on the president and Congress than I do the Fed, but there's plenty of blame to go around. And look, I think there are very real reasons we could question how independent the Fed was operating of the Biden administration mm. when the Federal Reserve Bank and its officials were endorsing all of this spending. Mm. Yes. yes, yes. They went right. to Congress and said, yeah, it would be a good idea to spend this money. Uh, and, I, you know, I've dealt with the Fed a long time. I was chairman of the banking committee. I talk to Alan Greenspan virtually every day under some circumstances. But uh, Alan Greenspan, one time in his career, said, if we got this surplus because the Cold War is over, you'd be better off cutting taxes rather than spending it, because if you needed the money back, you could raise taxes. Okay. And he just got blistered by the New York Times, by the Democrats. And this Fed, during the pandemic, was the most consistent voice for more spending. Mm-hmm. Over and over and over and over again. Almost every day there was a member of the Federal Reserve Board that was endorsing this spending. Mm-hmm. So uh, they really... They became a political institution during that period. Now, where the test will come is when this really begins to hurt and the unemployment rate starts to rise and inflation is still uh, very high by the standards of the last 40 years, how much independence are they going to exercise in continuing to kill off the inflation? Uh, I think that's going to be a very real test, in my opinion. They're talking about, final point, last minute or so, a minute and a half, they're talking about a reconciliation bill, and Joe Manchin is flirting with it, that would raise taxes, Senator, by over a trillion dollars and spend a trillion dollars, some such, on various... uh, uh, Green New Deal, uh, renewable tax credits, uh, Obamacare subsidies, more Medicaid spending. I mean, that's not going to help. That's going to make it worse. I can't imagine a worse policy. The spending is bad. The taxes are bad. The intent is bad. Um, and I am hopeful that that can be stopped. It's going to add to inflation. It's going to add to the the forces driving us into a recession. 
um, um, it will kill them in the election. But unfortunately, it is going to hurt a lot of innocent people in the interim and afterwards. Yes, sir. Senator Phil Graham, can't thank you enough. Getting ready for your book about inequality. Happy Fourth. Happy Fourth. God bless America. Hundred percent. We will restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Folks, stick around. We're going to take a break. On the other side of the break, we're going to do some stock market work. It's the worst first half in stocks since 1970. That ain't good either. I'm Larry Kudlow. July 4th weekend, we will be right back. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is, I'm going to say it's a happy July 4th weekend, even though, even though, after 18 months of the Biden administration, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not doing very well. Nonetheless, we're going to restore it. We're going to rebuild it. The cavalry's coming. But the transition may not be so easy. And we'll talk about the stock market, which is often a bellwether of the health and welfare and economy of our nation. And it's, um, it's not a good bellwether. It's not a good bellwether. By the way, folks, you can join us during the week. Fox Business, the name of the show is Cudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. And you can catch us here on the Internet, uh, wabcradio.com or the LarryCudlowShow.com, all across the country and overseas and throughout the solar system. So we can all gear up for this big segment. And I must say at the top, the first half of the year, the first half of the year, the broad S&P 500 index down 21 percent, the worst since 1970. By the by, in real terms, you got to add 10 percent PPI inflation, so it's really down 31 percent. So it's not good, and uh, every single sector is not doing well, with the possible exception of energy. So we got our work cut out for it. The economy is shrinking, according to the. Uh, Tracking model, the GDP tracking model of the Atlanta Fed, which just came out with an estimate for the second quarter of minus 2.1%. The first quarter was officially minus 1.6% GDP, according to the uh, latest third official revision. So we're perhaps in a recession with high inflation and a badly performing stock market. I'm sure we can get out of this mess. And so we will turn for some good advice from Jim Urio, director of TJM Institutional Services, Chicago's leading restaurateur, and Jeff Kilberg, chief investment officer at Sanctuary Wealth, Notre Dame's biggest booster. So, gentlemen, happy July 4th. Happy uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, but the facts are not too good. I begin with you, uh, Jeff Kilberg. What do you make of this? And dare you suggest an outlook for the second half of the year? And what investors ought to do about all this? Well, Larry, I am cautiously optimistic, but I have my stars and stripe bathing suit on this weekend. And here we are looking at the last six months. And let's, let's call it what it was. It was ugly, almost as ugly as Yurio's face. 
And I just have to be grateful for the fact that all your radio listeners, all the radio (laughs) listeners aren't endure looking at him for the next twenty minutes. But nonetheless, Larry, do you have your stripes and do you you have your stripes and and stars uh, bathing suit on right now? We can only (laughs) imagine. And I have the boat running about thirty minutes or thirty steps away here. But if you look at what's the one thing that really changed this year, Larry? It's the Fed's misstep. No one really talks about the Fed's misstep. The last couple trillion dollars of their balance sheet, that was the misstep. So here they are, start off January, the 10-year nose at 1.53. They injected such velocity. I don't know if you've seen Maverick yet, but I felt like it was an F-18 with that type of velocity being injected in the marketplace. The 10-year note goes up to 3.5%, and boom, you see equities really pull back. But I think there is some optimism. There's a silver lining here, Larry, as we've seen valuations come down below historical averages. Of course, you have to be considered about sector exposure and individual stocks, but that theme that we've been wrestling with for quite some time from growth to value, it's worked. Being more defensive, having more value tilt, being more industrial, that has worked. We talk about some of the names often, and you look at some of these names, they're boring names. You know, boring is a new sexy. Lockheed Martin, EPD, Archer Daniel Midland, IBM, Duke Energy, just to name a few. But I think you have to consider that things are going to get better. This is what a repricing feels like, and it doesn't feel good, just like hanging out with Uriel. So, um, Interest rates went up a lot in the first half of the year. The, um, of course, Fed Fund's target rate uh, went from roughly zero to just under 2%. The two-year note is up 222 basis points. The 10-year note is up 150 basis points, although it has come back down. It's 301. It did get as high as close to 350, as Kilberg suggested. Let's look at some of this other stuff. Uh, although it's been soft, gold on balance, let's see, gold on balance, gold fell. Now, gold was flat for the first half of the year. Crude oil up 37.4%. Brent crude up 48%. Uh, some of the bad stuff, really bad stuff. The Dow Transports, which if you believe Dow Theory is a leading indicator, the Dow transports down uh, 20%. The Sox semiconductors down 35. Home builders down 37%. S&P retail is down 33%. And the only real plus I can find in the sectors is energy was up 29%. So, Jim Uriel, what do you make of it? Well, energy being the sector that's performed like that, that's, a, that's more bad news. It's performed like that. And, again, we've talked about this for a year and a half. My big idea at the beginning of uh, 2021 was to buy energy because I thought that, that the policies that were coming down the pipeline were going to be so restrictive. And guess what happened? They were. Um, but the, there is – I actually do think there's good news after some bad news. Um, so, Atlanta Fed, you talked about the GDP now saying that right now we're, it's negative 2.1 um, GDP. In its history since 2011, this comes from Jim Bianco's research, in its history since 2011, it's only been off, if it's predicted within the 30 days of the GDP number, it's only been off by more than two full percentage points one time, and that was Q1 of 2020 when it was predicted uh, down 35%, and it came in at down 32%. So that is, is pretty accurate. That means we're in a recession now. So that then leads us to the fact that the 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 Fed is tightening into a recession, and they're probably going to tighten 75 base points. Just you and I, two weeks, three weeks ago on this show, we both agreed they should just do 100, 100, 100. Well, 
everything's changed completely now, I think, and everything is, I think inflation has definitely peaked, and that's because of a confluence of, uh, you know, first of all, obviously rates. Secondly, just think of the, the amount of money that's been taken out of the system through the decline in the equity markets, throw in the $2 trillion from uh, your crypto just getting pummeled, and I know that's global, but uh, that's a big deal too. And supply chain starting to heal a little bit too, so I think that, which is the one good news, and, um, and I think the inflation is turning Turning around right now, and I know I'm on an island there, but I think there's going to be one more move down in the stock market because the Fed doesn't realize they should be slowing down tightenings. So I, a, a couple of weeks ago, I said I think down to 30 percent in the S&P was the bottom, which happens to be the average when we're in a recession. And then I think we pivot a little bit, too. I mean, the Fed pivots, and then the stock market finds a bottom on the Fed pivot going into the fall. And, Jeff, you went to, you went to Notre Dame? I didn't know that. Can you tell us any bit about that or no? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I will say, although the Fed doesn't look at this stuff, uh, commodity price indexes have slipped down Mm -hmm. i'm looking at the crb futures which is kind of my favorite because got energy gold metals industrials and agriculture so that's gone from about 350 down to 311 and i think the other commodity indexes are showing the same thing including copper but the thing is jim urio i um i'm in in Inflation is going to be sticky on the way down. And I want to raise the point, recessions tend to reduce profits, and profits are the mother's milk of stocks. And I worry about that for the stock market. Yes, but you you and I have disagreed about this for many years. I, I like the notion that profits are the mother's milk of stocks, but for 15 years I've been arguing that the Fed is the mother's milk of stocks. And I, 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 don't, I can't say... I mean, that, that's led me to some pretty good places, um, not fighting the Fed. And when they do start to pivot, I'm going to be okay with the market. You mentioned copper. Yeah, copper down 20%. But also the um, five-year break-even, just since that uh, June 13th, the 8.6 CPI, where um, the five-year break-evens were at 3.2, they absolutely got pounded down to 2.5 in two weeks' time. So I think that's pricing in a recession. I think the 20% plunge in copper is pricing in a recession. And all that, I, don't, I just, I understand stagflation is an awful thing when it's that push-cost inflation, when it's supply thing. But if it's just going to be energy and the other things can start to heal themselves, I think we can get to a point where inflation Larry, is not Larry, this that is one of my problem. favorite senses. I love to say you're, you're, I think you're wrong. And why I think you're wrong, Jimmy, is that you've seen these commodity prices pull back from where they came from. It was like an elastic rubber band. So the word recession is being thrown around. You're seeing peak pessimism. You know, to Larry's point, he's right, I believe, in the profit component. And growth is not stopping. Growth is just slowing. But it's all convoluted to your point. I'm actually going to throw you a bone here, Jimmy. You're absolutely right. Trading out of this pandemic with this historically swollen $9 trillion balance sheet, which they're really not reducing. I think it's a joke that $47 billion a month is coming off. But I think we have to get through this earnings season. I think that's going to be critical, Larry. It is. And look, at uh, earnings are going to be very important. Uh, we're, we're in a recession, according to these uh, measurements, and the Fed is going to go 75, and they'll go another 75 in September. So the Fed is tightening, and earnings are falling it's very hard for me to get too excited. Now, longer term, yeah, 
I, I think there's, you know, maybe people should be buying the market while it goes down if you're a long-term player, which I always am. But, um, Jim Muriel, You don't I, think they pumped the brakes, Larry? You don't think they pumped the brakes in September and, and yes. realize that they may be pushing us into a recession and hold yeah. off on additional rate hikes? No, they're going to keep pumping the brakes because they're dumb as wood. That's the trouble <laughs> with the Fed. They're dumb as wood. Oh, Mike should be dropped on that line because it's so incredibly true. Yes, they are missing the signs, and they will they, miss them again. And you always know that because they always miss the signs. Of course. I mean, there's one thing is that the Fed always – look, I'm an old-time guy. I believe in a commodity price rule. Uh, I would say to you, given the slump in commodities in the recent weeks, they should do 75 and quit. But because they're dumb as wood, they won't. And that's why I fear for the stock market in the second half of the year. We've got to take a quick break. Jim Urio, TJM Institutional Services, Jeff Kilberg, Sanctuary Wealth. Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not looking that good now, but we will restore all that. This is July 4th. It's a great America, and we'll be right back after this short break. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking to Jim Urio of TJM Institutional Services and Jeff Kilberg, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth. Jeff Kilberg, things can't be all bad because Elon Musk just published a Twitter picture of himself and his four kids with the Pope. I mean, you know, Elon Musk and the Pope. So from a Notre Dame standpoint, that can't be all bad. Well, yeah, correct. And the top two people, as you know, are the Pope and the Notre Dame quarterback. So, yeah, we're, we're in line. We're in sync. All right. Now, let's go back to the profits picture, Mr. Kilberg. And what's your second half uh, investment strategy? Well, the second half is going to be similar to the way we've really gotten defensive, had that tilt more towards value, gotten more industrial. But what's interesting, Larry, going back 85 years, we look at all the midterm election years. And inside those midterm election years, you've really seen just fraught with volatility. Any given year, you're going to see different reasons. This year, no one could have predicted Putin invading Ukraine, surging inflation, all the various headwinds. But what's interesting, over the last 85 years, on average, the S&P 500 has returned 6.5%. But inside of a midterm election year, all those returns don't come in until the fourth quarter or the end of the third quarter. But the real takeaway is why I want to be positioned and invested is that subsequent year, Larry, the year after a midterm election year, the S&P 500 average more than doubles. It goes from 6.5% up to 15.1%. So I think we're going to look back on the summer of 2022. It doesn't feel good. It's been painful. We've all been kicked in the teeth to a certain extent. But I think it being repositioned, having an equal weight exposure, not forgetting about technology, but understanding you have to stick with themes that have been working, that has been the blue chip tangible names. You're too bullish. I'm just telling you, you're way too bullish. <laughs> That's all. I'm just going to say that. And, Jimmy Uriel, I know you're hyperventilating that these uh, CPI break-evens are coming off, and you're right. But I'm going to tell you, actual inflation uh, may be peaking. I don't know. I, I'll give that a maybe. But it's going to be very sticky on the way down. And inflation is going to remain much higher than the Fed's 2% inflation target. And therefore, I believe they will uh, continue to keep tightening. Now, the market's going to go down in the second half of the year. That doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it on the way down, again, from a long-term perspective. But I think you're hyperventilating too much about getting rid of inflation. 
I, I'm actually going to throw one other wrench into the equation, too. This next CPI number comes in on July 13th, and we saw how the, the rents and rents equivalents made the last um, number look a lot better than it was. It wasn't shouldn't have been 8.6. It should have been more like 13. So here's what I worry about the most, and then I'm going to wind it in because I kind of agree with Jeff for the second half. I do think there's going to be some opportunities after one more plunge lower, but I think that the Fed is going to be confused by the July 13th number, and I do think they'll tighten 75 basis points for certain, but I think sometimes in, in the next month and a half, God, and I hope I'm right about this, is that is that they come to their senses and begin, even if they're going to go 50 in September, they start to talk a little nicer about when they're going to turn to neutral or even dovish. So I do think one more plunge lower where the only thing I'd still be in is, uh, is energy, gold, um, silver. Um, not silver, really. Silver chart looks bad, but gold. But I think that after, in about a month and a half, technology is going to be where I want to start to look after that plunge lower, because remember, they're the most rate sensitive and they've just been absolutely hammered because rates have gone up. And that's what I think I'm going to like going in. And I like Jeff's statistic about election years. It usually begins in like the first week of October where the market begins to rally. It's good fourth quarter. And then, you know, afterwards, we might start to feel better. Like you keep saying the cavalry's coming in. So if there's something to feel good about, perhaps we get some more pro-business politicians in place. Yeah, well, here's one for you, and I don't know how this turns out, but Joe Manchin is privately negotiating with Chuck Schumer. We don't know what's going to come out of that, but they're looking for a partisan reconciliation bill that would increase taxes on businesses and successful earners by over a trillion dollars. Now, Jeez. that has to be the dumbest thing I ever heard. No. We, we get in this a situation where we punish success and people cheer about it. People yeah. just don't understand how this crap works. That it, It's the most insane thing ever. We have knuckleheads running the country. Everything we have right now is a self-inflicted wound. Every time they, they throw their hands up and say, gosh, who could have predicted this? I could point them to like 500 different um, economically literate economists or, or analysts who told them this the whole time. It's absolutely insane. So are you a buyer now? Are you a no. stock buyer? No. It's too early, no, you're not saying. A, I'm not a stock buyer yet. I want, I want about a month and a half. I want to shake out to see if my thesis about peaking inflation and a pivoting Fed is correct. And, uh, again, I know it's a lonely position. I took a lot of punches on Twitter when I said I think inflation had peaked. But uh, I want to wait about a month and a half to see it. I'm, not, I'm certainly not a seller. I don't think you sell down 25% um, if you're a long-term person. But, again, you know, I'm not ready yet. How do the restaurants look? Serious question. So, How do the restaurants so the look? Restaurants are still looking ex good. Uh, the last time we talked, I said it was starting to decline. I actually don't think it is. I think it was wrong. I think this, this the pent-up demand of social activity for people that had been de deprived of them for a year and a half is not abating any time. Mm -hmm. I think restaurants still seem crowded. It just it seems like it can't go on forever when you see the prices of these places. We've had to raise prices three times, up to 12% higher than what they were, and we're mm -hmm. low compared to the other places. But it's still the, the statistics and the, the anecdotally what I still see is okay. And Jeff Kilberg, how is, how is it, I don't get this, USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten. Like, I don't get that. It's, it's all about the almighty dollar. Uh, oh. You're seeing some of these TV contracts. And unfortunately, I think my fighting Irish are going to have to choose a conference themselves in the next couple of years. And there's going to be two power conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, Why? Does Notre Dame doesn't have 30. to pick a conference, do they? 
We kind of are pseudo in the ACC. We're independent well, in, of football and everything else. They're so partially they're, they're partially in the ACC, aren't they, Notre Dame? That's right. That's right. That's right. For every other sport except for football. But it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But, you know, money's driving markets. Money's driving college football. Nil, name, image, and likeness. That's a whole other show, Larry, we should talk about because there's no Bollinger bands on that component. But mm. I, get, I get really interested, and I want to, you know, get your opinion because I want to invoke the Looney Tunes chicken hawk. I think – Fed Chairman Powell is a chicken hawk. He talks about how hawkish he's going to be. He's been nothing but a dove. He was probably more dovish than the queen of all doves, Janet Yellen, and he has a dovish balance sheet. So as much as he's out there beating his hawkish chest, he has a $9 trillion balance sheet. Isn't that liquidity enough for you guys to feel more comfortable sleeping at night that we're not going down further? No. tells me uh, inflation hasn't really peaked yet, actually. People are going to be very surprised. By the way, the bond market... Uh, I know it's rallied and rates have come down, but the Fed is going to slim down their balance sheet somewhat. But Jay Powell, you know, he's personally a nice guy, personally classy guy. So but is Uriel. As far as <laughs> as far as monetary policy is concerned, Jay Powell is one confused man. That's all I can no tell you. One Amen. very confused man. Anyway, I know you guys aren't confused, Jim Uriel. Happy July 4th, Jeff Kilberg. Happy July 4th. The cavalry's coming. We will restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Folks, stick around. we got money politics coming up with Steve Moore and Liz Peek. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. During the week, Fox Business News, the name of the show is Kudlow. 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday, and two of the stars of that show, Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, Steve Moore, Vice President, uh, Chief Economist of Freedom's Work, Freedom Works Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and the author of Godzilla. Liz Peek, I begin with you. You're going to explain to us and our millions of listeners out there what Joe Biden is talking about and his NEC director, Deese, that... We have to have high oil, record oil, and inflation because we're protecting the liberal world order. What? Well, what is he talking about? Well, this has gotten a lot of play, and it's just exactly the kind of language that sets conservatives on edge. Um, I think what he was talking about, to be fair, is that our confrontation with Vladimir Putin, Russia, uh, over Ukraine is preserving the liberal world order. And I think what he really means is sort of Western democracy, but his choice of words Uh could not have been more horrifying uh, because guess what? (laughs) He's supposed to be our president, not supposed to be a globe-trotting ambassador for a liberal world order. Uh, And honestly, everything about the president's trip abroad and comments made overseas about the Supreme Court, et cetera, was absolutely heinous. And I think this is sort of a great rap on that. It was just, it was so stupid. You know, Steve Moore, first of all, Liz has a point. I love those adjectives, heinous. What else were you some of some great adjectives there? But this, the, look, I'm all for sovereign borders, okay, preserving, if that's what Biden is talking about. But what happened to drill, drill, drill? I mean, we have ourselves to blame for record energy prices and high inflation. And that ain't anything to do with the liberal world order. And by the way, is he talking about like the UN or the G7? or all these other, the world court, huh? Do you think Americans care about that stuff? 
Well, Larry, you just don't get it because uh, this, <laughs> we're gonna, the way we're going to defeat the, uh, the uh-huh. Russians and, and uh, establish this new world order is with windmills. And they're going to all the world's problems. Uh, I, I have to say, I mean, what what um, feckless leaders we have right now around the world. It's it's very troubling. I mean, where are the Winston Churchills and the Margaret Thatchers and the Ronald Reagans? Uh, the, you know, when you when you look at these people like Biden and Trudeau and Macron, it just doesn't inspire much confidence, does it? That we have people who are uh, who are well. Uh, uh, ready to stand up to the challenge that we have in this world right now. Um, my big problem right now is that when America doesn't lead, nobody leads. You know, mm-hmm. and we don't. We have weak leadership right now. We have a president who's really off in la la land. And here we've got a situation now with you know the tragedy that's happening in in Ukraine, and then you've got the massive inflation, higher gas prices, an economy that's now in recession here and in many places around the world. And literally, they spent half the meeting talking about green energy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just it's just really, really pathetic <clears throat> and troubling. Now, Liz, uh, the Supreme Court struck a blow for progress and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness with the EPA decision, not the immigration. I'll get to that in a minute. But the EPA decision really puts a puts a dagger uh, into the heart of this uh, Green New Deal, climate change, radical stuff. I, I mean, I think this is a very, very big issue, a very, very big decision. It, there's no question. It is a very big decision, and it is not only directed at the EPA, which basically was told by the court that they had vastly overstepped their their boundaries. Obama basically like Biden, wanted to impose a climate agenda on America that Americans are not particularly excited about. So he can't get it through Congress. There is no legislation requiring utilities to enact the kind of policies that the EPA was trying to impose on them. And the court said, no, there's a separation of powers issue here. Uh, When you have these alphabet agencies basically making and carrying out policy that Congress has not approved or voted on, that is simply wrong. But the exciting thing to me is it really also goes to the heart of an awful lot of actions taken by OSHA, the SEC, the FEC, all that alphabet soup of agencies that basically run our country. Why? Because Congress refuses to do it. They cannot come up with legislation that is drafted in such a way to uh, basically win the support of the American people or pass, in other words. Uh, And so they've turned everything over to these agencies. And so I think you're going to see a lot of challenges of labor laws, uh, SEC SEC rulings, all kinds of things under the same umbrella ruling. And I think that is a big win for democracy. You know, Steve, I mean, in economic terms, certainly, uh, I agree with Liz, it's a big win for democracy. Because these um, these regulatory administrative state regulatory agencies cannot run the country. They cannot. They're unelected. And they can't run the country. But as important, though, is Biden's attempt to end fossil fuels yeah. and Biden's yeah. attempt to put caps on yeah. uh, fossil fuel electricity and fossil fuel in general in the next five to 10 years, which is what the EPA is the the basic agency for. That's a, that's a real blow. They're not going to be able to achieve this. Yeah. And you you said that speech that you gave at Harvard this week, which by the way, was a fantastic speech, Larry, congratulations. You You mentioned, you talked about 
the war on fossil fuels, which is one of the primary missions of this administration. To put, essentially, they want to go to zero, right? Well, yeah. by what year did you say 2030, 2035? I mean, it is, it is uh, I forget what year, but pretty soon. <laughs> and it's, it's really an absurdity. If you want to destroy the free market capitalist system that's created prosperity in this country, uh, you know, run uh, the fossil fuel industry out of business. And so um, you're right about that. And this is a big victory for fossil fuels, but especially, Larry, for coal, for coal. Coal is still an essential part of our uh, reliable energy grid. And we had a chart in our in our uh, prosperity hotline uh, this week that showed over the last you know five or six or seven years, the United States has reduced our coal production by 50 or 60 percent. Meanwhile, China literally has more than quadrupled their, uh, their coal production. So we're not reducing coal. We're just instead of getting coal from West Virginia and Wyoming and Pennsylvania, it's now coming from China and India. And, you know, Liz, from the broad perspective, you mentioned the SEC, which I think is very important. The SEC is not the Securities and Environmental Commission. It's the Securities <laughs> and Exchange Commission. And this decision uh, will push it back to being the Securities and Exchange Commission. And this decision will also affect, for example, uh, antitrust laws from the Federal Trade Commission. It will also affect the Federal Communications Commission, all the alphabet agencies. And it also, Liz, strengthens the states. There's a federalism component in here. For example, you know, the original uh, EPA thing, was about capping uh, greenhouse gases for power, for the utilities. Right. But the, the utilities are basic, should be basically run by the states, not the EPA federally, in the absence of federal legislation, which we're not going to get. So I think this strikes a blow for federalism also. I, I agree. And, in fact, we've seen that states have taken on various kinds of environmental uh, regulations like obviously California is extreme on this, demanding renewables. Uh, fine. I mean that again. What Obama tried to put in place was effectively a national cap and trade program. Right. If if states want to implement those kinds of uh, regulations, and by the way, that also is what came down on the abortion ruling. Right. It's it's mm-hmm. going back to the states. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. I think this court has done a lot for federalism. Has done a I lot agree. to decentralize. Yeah the power in the government. And, Larry, when you look at polling, Americans feel farther and farther away from the governing of our country. They feel like uh, there was a poll out this week or just in the last couple of days about the government doesn't represent me. I don't feel like this is my country anymore. That's wrong. And that was what federalism was all about. So, you know, again, I think all this is very positive. Obviously, it's caused liberal uh, passions, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, angst. You know, Liberal angst. Nuts. Yeah, I mean. This has been a bad week for the socialists of America. It has. It is has. Very, and by the which way, is a great losing, week. they're also losing in the, in the voting box. So, right. uh, you know, it isn't. But that's because people aren't on board with this. And why Biden never thought that was the case, I, I mean, I guess it's just political calculus for him. He needed Bernie's votes. But, man, he just really set off on the wrong trail on this progressive path, and he's just never looked back. It's so stupid. But and even, by the way, even with the, uh, you know, the, the abortion decision, which um, politically, you know, the Democrats have really wanted to make hay out of, and, and I'm not going to get into the decision, but what's really interesting, Larry, 
is that in the last week or so since that decision came out, Biden's numbers have gone even down further, further, you know, his approval rating. So Americans are focused on the economy. They want the jobs. They want get they want lower gas prices. I want to make another quick point, if I may, uh, on on what Liz was saying. I mean, you're so right. This this court really has been a reemergence of federalism, which I'm now uh, reading the uh, biography of Ben Franklin by Walter Isaacson, which is a great book, although it's a yeah. long book, it's about 600 pages. And I, I mean, just the, the ingeniousness of our founding fathers, really, it's no gathering of, of brilliant people has ever happened on earth like what happened at our constitutional convention. And they really did set up a system because, look, Pennsylvania was different from North Carolina and Delaware and all these states. And it really was a system that was based on, states rights and no question about it and you know a federal government but states really making the decisions about domestic policy and we're hopefully we're moving back to that i mean don't forget in that declaration of independence there's a ranking order there's the creator right natural god Uh uh-huh creator gives the power to the people the men and women and the men and women tell the government what to do Okay, so we've lost that. The Bidens don't believe that. Socialists never believe that. Right. But from the Declaration and from the Constitution, the originalist ideas now have a renaissance under this Supreme Court. Liz, I think this is, you know, as pessimistic as we may be in the short run, the cavalry is coming. I look at the Supremes, you know, they're not the cavalry, but they are a couple of important squadrons taking to <laughs> land, right, and, and moving ahead. I mean, we need to restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and I think we made some progress on that this week. Yeah, I think we really did. Let's, let's just keep our fingers and toes crossed that we don't lose any of our conservative justices in, for any reason, and mm. that this can, and this continues for a while uh, but, boy, uh, the anger on the left is profound because they basically really don't believe in federalism or states' rights. They believe, in effect, that New York and California should run the country. And on issue <laughs> after issue, we have right. seen that those states are out of sync with the majority of Americans. And they can, you know, and, for example, on, on uh, the abortion issue, they want to put to federalize, to put a national law in which does, which most Americans don't agree with on abortion, which is full-term abortion on demand. Mm. That isn't going to fly, mm. uh, and and so there's a very good reason why. Again, this issue has gone back to the states. You know, let's let's see more of that. I think it's terrific. All right, quick break, Liz Peak and Steve Moore. When we come back, we will find out why Steve Moore is not happy with Larry Summers. I'm Larry Kudlow. It's a much different Larry. We'll be right back. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. All right, two stars of the Fox Business Network show, Kudlow, Steve Moore, from FreedomWorks and Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and the author of Godzilla, and Liz Peake, Fox News contributor and syndicated columnist. So, Steve Moore, you and Art wrote a, Art Laffer wrote a piece, Economic Growth, Not Austerity, is the answer to inflation. And you say Lawrence Summers was right about the danger of excessive spending, but now he wants high unemployment, and you don't agree. Tell us why. 
We sure don't. I mean, look, you've got to have, and, and you, Larry, Larry, you talk about this all the time on your show. You, you've got to have, yes, the Fed has to raise rates. Yes, the Fed has to, uh, you know, suck in its stomach and, and, and uh, suck in this excess of money, these trillions of dollars that have been put into the economy. That's what led to the inflation, the massive government spending and debt. But you also, when you're doing that, what we're saying is the Fed needs to, I mean, the, the Congress and the administration need to promote pro-economic growth policies. And that includes, you know, reducing tax rates that will spur more business investment. Um, it means uh, it means um, less regulation, which is something we were just talking about. And it also means drill, drill, drill using our energy. And, and, and uh, Joe Biden needs to end the war on American energy. And if we do those things in combination with the rate hikes that have to come to get this inflation under control, then I, I think we could look, we're in a recession right now. I don't think there's any question that the, the uh, GDP now number just came out yesterday, the negative 2% for the first uh, second quarter. So I just want to make sure that we don't collapse the economy. And, and by the way, if this agenda sounds familiar, it's exactly what Volcker and Reagan did uh, to break the Nixon Ford Carter inflation. So, Liz, I wonder, you know, Larry Summers, distinguished economist, but he is a Phillips curver. And I think I'm not sure, Liz, uh, whether he whether he's saying that the Fed is going to have to take actions, recessionary actions that will drive up unemployment or whether he wants higher unemployment to actually be a target. I can't quite figure that out. Well, I don't think it matters, honestly, because we are facing increasing unemployment even now. I agree with Steve. I think we're in a recession. All the numbers point that way, whether it's consumer spending or retail inventories or, I mean, whatever you look at, uh, the economy is getting weaker and the Fed is going to continue on its path. Um, There doesn't seem to be any question about that of raising rates. Uh, Americans are hurting. And I think that when you look at for example, consumer sentiment readings right now, and Biden's approval ratings, by the way, uh, it, the incredible thing is that's with a good job market. Uh, I, don't, I can't imagine what those things are going to look like when we begin to see uh, layoffs. And right now, we've seen it in tech. Uh, big retailers are talking about cost-cutting, which in their business means basically laying off people. <clears throat> the unemployment claims have started to tick up. So whether Larry Summers thinks it's true or not, or I, I mean, I don't think Jay Powell has a clue what's going on. Mm. Uh, he said as much the other day when he said, you know, we don't really know where inflation comes from. Wasn't That's that really, a, can, can I just reassuring. pause on that? That was an amazing statement. <laughs> really OK, was. he said that at one, whatever, some G7 conference. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he actually came out and man, if I were the Fed chairman, I wouldn't say that. Uh, OK, no. I mean, I would not want to say that. Yeah, yeah, even the even the lady who was interviewing said, "Yeah, hey, that doesn't inspire much confidence." Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. I mean, that was really quite quite remarkable. That yeah, was almost driving. as remarkable as the liberal world order. <laughs> I, well, I, I just think my only point is I, I think the wheels are in motion. I think we're sort of driving into a ditch. Whether it's a steep ditch or or a shallow ditch will depend totally on things like whether, by the way, this zombie bill that we keep talking about being yeah. dead comes out of the grave and we have higher taxes because that's what they're talking about. Uh, and it looks like Manchin may be on board with that, which just is is unfathomable to me. Steve, take notice to what she said. That's why I wanted 
our coalition <laughs> to save America. That. It's a, yeah. I'm telling you, you know, yeah. in round numbers, they're looking at a trillion in spending and a trillion in higher taxes, which is just yeah. the well, I won't say it's the dumbest thing because the Bidens always find something dumber, yeah. but it's pretty dumb. Yeah. You're going to jack up taxes. You're going to spend more to help infl- to, to to generate inflation and then raise taxes to generate a deeper recession. Really, really. Yeah, it reminds me of that scene in in the movie Dumb and Dumber when every time I think you could possibly do anything dumber. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, I mean, look, this is just a really miserable situation. We have a president who's in over his head. We've got. There's no leadership on the on the Democratic side. I can't imagine. The only reason I'm a little bit less worried worried than you are is I can't imagine Joe Manchin would agree to a tax increase right now. Mm-hmm. But he might. He might, and that yep. would that would of course just that would just torpedo the economy completely. And so I pray that doesn't happen. You're right. We have to be vigilant. We have to we have to stop that from happening. And it may be your good friend uh, from Arizona, Kristen Cinema, who will mm-hmm. uh, be the hero of the day. I just, I mean, Joe cannot break my heart. He'll break my heart if he does this. It'll be just so awful. The other thing, Liz, talking about Biden at the G7 and NATO, Biden spent most of his time, this is like in the middle of this Russian-Ukraine war, the meeting of the so-called world leaders, and mostly Biden spent his time attacking the Supreme Court. Yeah. Okay. How disgraceful. How I mean, disgraceful. isn't that something? Yeah, to, to talking about an extremist court, and that's the only destabilizing thing. I, I'm, I was sort of shocked, I have to say, and I, I don't think it's the norm for an American president to go overseas and defame one of our branches of government. Mm. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm appalled by that. Um, but it, just on the note of what can get dumber I don't know if you guys saw that the Biden administration's rolling out potential ozone restrictions on the Permian Basin, where 43 percent of our oil comes from, which might mean reduced output in the future. I mean, if you want to talk about political suicide, honestly, Biden is so up a tree on on gasoline prices and oil and gas policy in general. I cannot imagine the offshore leasing sale with such a rollout of, of their proposals was a complete bust in my view for from the point of view of oil well, yeah. producers. both I, the I mean, atlantic and the atlantic know. ocean and the pacific ocean they're ruling out offshore yeah. leases yeah. i mean this is after they made such a big deal about how the leases are there and they'll let more <laughs> yeah. leases and all that crap and now they're ruling it out this but this like the interior department didn't read the supreme court decision on the epa they forgot to read it well, because basically all their logic all their logic comes from the EPA regulations, and they're going to get called on that. There's going to be a million lawsuits about that. Denying leases and denying permits, obviously at exactly the wrong time, but they don't have the authority to do that. Where's the law from Congress that says you have to have direct and indirect uh, uh, restrictions? Where's the law that says you can end uh, uh, fossil fuels in electricity by 2035? There is no law. There is no law. They can't do it. But these other agencies think they're still doing it. Well, again, this will go back to the courts. And the good news is we have a court right now, a Supreme Court, where they're going to be pushed back on this. And I think the precedent in this Virginia versus EPA is huge, and I think will make rulings on that kind of Mm. issue more favorable. But again, 
Biden, Biden has no answers. I, today, <laughs> I woke up to buy, impeach Joe Biden trending on Twitter. That's really <laughs> not a good sign for the beginning of the 4th of July holiday oh, weekend God. for Joe Biden. But it had to do with David Axelrod coming out and saying Americans think the country's out of control and right. Biden's not in command. He's we, right. will, we will restore life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Liz Peek, thank you. Steve Moore, thank you. I'm Larry Kudlow. Happy July 4th weekend, okay? This is America, the greatest country in the world.